Welcome to Dream Chasers Radio, where we are always daring to be different. Get ready, get ready, get ready to be inspired. Let's get moving toward our goals. And here to make that happen is our host, Yaya Diamond. All right, all right, all right. It's Yaya coming live from the beautiful city of Miami, Florida. That's right. I am on location. I'm having a wonderful time here in Miami. I I can't tell you the people, the traffic, the traffic, the traffic. I'm just going to leave it there. I don't like the traffic. But Miami is a wonderful city. You've got to come out and hang out for a little while in Miami and talk Spanish and eat Cuban food. It's just that's what you got to do. I want to thank you for uh, tuning in to 97.5 FM, Real Community Radio right here in North Core, Florida, as well as Bobby B Radio in New York City, and all of the Dream Chasers Radio and TV networks. We got the Roku station going up. This week I've been on location, so I haven't put up anything new on the Roku TV station, but stay tuned. We got a lot of stuff coming. I have great interviews coming up today, and I just want to thank you guys again. I have my first caller in, and I'm going to I'm gonna just, I, I just, I love authors. You know, I want to be a writer. I'm a wannabe writer. Yes, I am. I'm a wannabe. And so this thing is acting up. Come on. No. I'm a wannabe writer, like I said. This thing wanted to turn off on me. And so I love authors because I think they're, they, they know a lot of words and they can put them together good. <laughs> I'm stupid, but it's true. You know, I am not a very good writer, but I can talk. And I want to welcome my first guest to the show. Thank you so much for calling in. Please tell everybody who you are and what you do, please. Hi, yeah, yeah. Um, my name is Max Hawthorne, and I am a novelist by trade, author of the Cronus Rising series of novels. Oh, Cronus. Tell me tell us about Cronus Rising. In your series, tell us about that. Well, it's uh, uh my readers coined the hashtag Jaws Meets Jurassic Park when the first book came out mm-hmm. in twenty fourteen. Uh so basically that kind of gives you an idea right there. Uh it's a series of sort of marine based novels that deal with the notion of prehistoric marine life being alive in the present and what would happen to the oceans of the world and, of course, to us if these animals manage to get a foothold, multiply, and eventually dominate the seas like they used to 65 million years ago. Oh, no, no. No, Ed, now, see, everybody that knows me know I am scared of sharks, okay? Like, Jaws kept me out of the beach for, like, almost 30 years. I'm not going to kid you. <laughs> I'm just like, the Jaws came out, like, okay, that's it. No more ocean. <laughs> And I've fished for sharks, so I can I can vouch for. Uh, oh yeah, I'm a passionate angler. I've uh, I've had gosh, I think the biggest shark I landed was a 12 foot what would have been a world record blue shark that weighed about 730 pounds that we cut loose off of Montauk. That's years ago, but uh, oh. they're incredibly powerful animals. Not something. Oh yeah. That you, yeah. But uh, you, want, you don't want to be on their negative side. But at the same time, if you think about it, millions of years ago, there were giant marine reptiles that swam around that preyed upon them. They were the, you know, like, like the size of a whale. And oh my so gosh. a shark was, a, was actually lunch at that point. So it, it, it makes for an mm. interesting story. Mm. No, no. Okay, okay. So, but what, I mean, okay, now what inspired you to write your first novel? Well, I think what inspired me was there was a, a great painting from, I think it was Dinotopia, The World Beneath, um, that, the book, and uh, an amazing artist. And he had these enormous uh, marine reptiles called uh, Chronosaurus, hence the name Cronus mm-hmm. Rising. And he had mm-hmm. them like towing a submersible as part of the story. And this painting really impressed the heck out of me. Um, it, so I had been toying with the idea for a long time about how I was going to come up with this. And when you want to create a story, you want to do what's called achieving a suspension of disbelief. You want people mm-hmm. to read the book, 
and you want them to not only picture themselves there, you know, seeing it, experiencing it, but you want it to be very believable that they could actually put the book down and think, wow, this could really happen. It feels like it just happened. And so mm-hmm. the trick is, how do you come up with an idea of explaining how animals that are supposed to have been extinct for 65 plus million years could suddenly be alive in the present? And you don't want it to be hokey, you know, none of that frozen in a block of ice stuff or, you know, in suspended animation, et cetera. You know, it needs to be something realistic. And I was Mm -hmm. able to come up with something great for it. And, you know, that that was the basis of putting it all together, I guess you'd say. Wow, wow. Okay, wait, wait, wait. So, like, wow. So what genre would you say you write in? I mean, you can be, like, like animals or, I mean, what genre is that? Well, the type of books I do, if you look at like Jurassic Park or Jurassic World, those are effectively uh-huh. horror stories. You know, it's the mon- okay, classic yeah. monster on the loose thing. You know, you're trapped mm-hmm. on an island. You're trapped in a mansion. Yeah. There's something huge and terrifying out there. It's trying to get you. It's trying to eat you, and you're trying to stay alive. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you could say immediately they'd be horror novels, but they're also action adventure. There's a lot of suspense to the books. You know, I mean, they're real page turners, and I'm very flattered by all the reviews that people have done. But uh, wow. you know it, that's that's you know so there's you know sci-fi definitely, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know so that that's the type of thing, and it, it covers a lot of ground the the genre like that. Well, so I mean, when you're saying all these these genres of uh, of books, uh, what what kind of authors inspire you? Well, I mean, when I was growing up, during my I guess formative years, you know, early teens and and through college. Um, I read, uh, I guess you'd say I have a uh, very eclectic taste in terms of books. I mean, as a kid, I read every Marvel comics I could get my hands on. That was like a, a big passion of mine. I think that shows a little bit in my writing with some of the flair for the action and things of that. Um, at the same time, though, in terms of other authors, I grew up reading Edgar Rice Burroughs, um, who did Tarzan, among other things. Um, Robert E. Howard, who was famous for his Conan novels, and Terry Brooks was another favorite of mine, who writes books like mm. The Sword of Shannara, you know, these epic sagas, I guess you'd say. I like their writing style. You know, Terry Brooks is really good, very visceral, very gritty, very realistic. He creates powerful visuals in the mind um, that, you know, you can see it when you're reading it, and that lets mm. you bring it to life for yourself. Well, do you do audio books as well? Uh, one, two, I think three of my books now are out on audiobooks. I'm not the narrator. I mean, they pick who does them. Mm-hmm. But uh, Cronus Rising, Diablo, which is the prologue to the series, um, mm-hmm. was the first one that was done on audio. And then Cronus Rising, Plague, and uh, my a book I wrote a while back called Memoirs of a Gym Rad, which was like an, mm-hmm. a, um, an expose on all the evils that go behind the scenes in the health club industry. That just came mm-hmm. out on audio as an audit on audible, I guess a month or two ago. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Now you've done a lot of research into paleontology and you're obviously a passionate angler. Okay. Does that help you with your writing? I mean, knowing how powerful they really are. Well, I mean, I grew up when I was a kid, my dad was what's called a rock hound. So he collected fossils and things of that nature. So I grew up with, you know, giant shark's teeth and the bones of a mammoth sitting on the piano. I remember when I was a little kid and you're like, what are those things? You know, but, um, mm-hmm. so uh, as I grew up, um, I do so much research for my books. And so I, I mean, to the point where you're, when you're researching prehistoric life, you want once again to create that, you know, that realism for your readers. And it, right. it got to the point where I've actually published some theories on paleontology myself that a lot of, uh, formal paleontologists, you know, like mysteries, let's say, that haven't been solved, um, like how certain animals swam through the water and why some of those, like these creatures called plesiosaurs, like, like the classic Loch Ness Monster image, had such long necks and things like that. You know, that kind of went hand-in-hand hand with the writing, I guess you'd say. And, of course, since mm-hmm. my books are, a lot of them are on the water or underwater, it, it certainly helps you know, having a lot of hands-on experience. You know, like there's a scene in Cronus Rising, the very first book, where this captain and his nephew are out on like a 36 foot boat and they're fishing for a bluefin tuna and they're, you know, struggling to try and reel in this 1100 pound tuna, which would actually make mm. the guy season and let him pay off his boat and stuff. And 
uh, it gets taken by the monster, this giant plyosaur, which they don't know that yet at first. But when it seizes the tuna, it's like oh, the guy thinks he's got it, and all of a sudden the, the pressure on the rod like quintuples. He almost gets pulled over the side, and nephew has to pull him back. The rod starts breaking apart, and eventually the line just you know breaks. And to be able to describe that, it, it helps a lot if you've actually been in a fighting chair, you know, fighting sharks or marlin and things like that, so that you can describe how it feels, the strain, the stress, the mm-hmm. sweat in your eyes, the smell, all that mm. stuff. You know, let's create ultra-realism for your readers. So, yeah, it definitely helps. Oh, goodness. And wait, wait, wait. So you said that in your family's house there were bones and teeth and Oh, gosh, I mean, did yeah. you ever play with them? Were you ever, were you ever? Oh, ever I would get in big trouble if I, if I did. Oh. <laughs> but at one point my, my dad had acquired like the, like partial skeleton of a young mammoth. And I remember the bones, mm. like the leg bones were like as like enormous, like three feet long or something like that. Like they were dinosaur bones effectively that size. And they were just stacked and covered with a tarp sitting on top of the piano and all. But I mean, he had so many things. I mean, I'm a fossil collector and antiquities collector myself, I guess. Obviously, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, so mm-hmm. I have an extensive collection of that stuff. But, uh, yeah, it, it was it made for an interesting childhood, you know, you not your usual fare, I guess you'd say. Wow. Yeah, that's not the usual fare. Now, have you ever thought about going and digging up these fossils, or have you ever done that? And, I mean, I mean, I'm just, I'm seeing you out there. This is basically like trying to dig up fossils. <laughs> I can tell. You know, it's it's funny. I mean, I, I've been invited to go on digs. Like uh, some guys from the UK in particular, like one of the mm-hmm. museums out there actually has a, a uh, the poster of my, a signed poster of my book cover in, in England hanging in the, in the lobby of the museum, believe it or not. And they've invited me to come out and to go on digs and things of that uh, on what they call the Jurassic Coast. You know, there's a section in uh, like Kimmeridge in, in the UK where every time there's a big storm, it washes away some of the, uh, I guess, a little bit of the coastline, and more of the fossils of these giant prehistoric marine creatures start coming up. I mean, new ones. Mm. And uh, you know, I would love to do it, but I mean, realistically, it's a, you know, it's a matter of time. I mean, I'm a parent. You know, I have books to write, I have blogs to do, I have interviews to do. Thank you again for having me on. You know, there's yeah, just so fun. much. Yeah, there's just so, so, so you know, and I mean. I, I'm not even getting out to fish much anymore because I have so much on my plate. So I'd love to go out there and explore and look for things, but I, it's just a question of time. You, you know, I think I think that you're doing a wonderful job. You know, most people don't realize what you have to give up to gain what you really, you know, what you're going for um, in life. And, and like you said, you really like to get out there, but there is really no, absolutely no time to do it. Because, you know, you're busy. Did you ever feel guilty about not being able to do what you used to do, but now that you're not, you're doing what you're doing? Well, I used to fish constantly. I mean, I have a boat, and I would be out every weekend fishing. And it was great, but at the same time, it takes up valuable time. Then, you know, you become a parent. You have more and more responsibilities, and you're an author. I mean, I have fans I have to, you know, keep in touch with, all these other things. And so it's like, I look at my boat and I, I, it's like, it looks at me, it's like, are we going out? You know, like it's been a while. So it's like, I don't get to take the actual boat out much unless I take like relatives out. But what I try to do is I try and combine the best of both worlds. And what I mean by that is, is that, um, like, I don't know how all the other authors out there are, but when I like do my work, I don't just edit it on the screen, which I find is very limiting in terms of what you perceive I find that mm-hmm. that's great for like step two and three, but you need to really need to do what's called hard copy editing, you know, and I will get like a, you know, a chapter or five or 10 pages or whatever on a clipboard and I will sit there and read it through as if it's a book. And then I see mistakes and changes in terms of pacing of things like that, that I didn't see on the screen. So what mm-hmm. I'll do very sneakily is I'll take like a chapter or half a chapter and I will sneak off, you know, while nobody else is home in the middle of the day to a local lake with a folding chair and, you know, a little cooler and uh, my clipboard mm. and fishing rods and stuff. And I will actually shore fish, like put a couple of rods out in rod holders. And then I will sit there, the bait's doing its thing, and I will edit, you know, and every so often I'll catch a fish. So it's almost like mm-hmm. at that point I'm getting paid to fish. So it does kind of let me, right. do, you know, kill two birds with one stone, as they say. Wow. And that sounds very relaxing. 
and very motivating and just it it is except that every so often there's like the the sheer like and your rod goes you're like whoa you know if you hook into something big that you're not expecting (laughs) you know and then you're fighting the fish and you don't have anybody there to help you to (laughs) net the fish it's like pandemonium and you know stuff you know and then like you release the fish and then you're slimy i learned this the first one two times to bring like wet wipes and and napkins and stuff you know because you then you're otherwise you're editing i mean you're telling story about a sea monster your editing smells like one you know, because there's like fish on it or something. You know, people, you're at, you handle your eddies like, whoa, what the heck is this? What, you wrap like your dinner in this thing, you know? But, uh, you know, but it's good stuff, you know. So I don't know. Every yeah, so often I get yeah. hit on while I'm doing that, though, believe it or not. Like, I, I don't know what it is. I guess, like, you know, like some people realize that you must be some editor or something, you know, and I mm-hmm. get approached every so often by like a woman or she has sends her child over or something like that you know, um, while I'm trying to work and stuff. It's just, I don't know why it happens. It's strange. No, I think you're sexy. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, man, man of my advanced years, I don't know about that, but, you know. <laughs> we try. I tell you. Yeah, I tell you, I tell you. So that sounds interesting, though. I mean, you know, you kind of combine the both worlds together and try to get it. I mean, you know, so what's next for Max Hawthorne? What, 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 what do you have? Do you have a new book coming out soon? Well, I've been working on, I mean, there's right now there are five books in the Cronus Rising series. There's three full-length novels. Uh, there's Cronus Rising, Cronus Rising Kraken, Volume 1, Cronus Rising Kraken, Volume 2, which, by the way, two of those won Book of the Year awards, not to brag, but I was mm-hmm. very you know, honored by that. Um, mm-hmm. So then there, and there's two novellas out. Yeah, so right now I'm in the middle of, well, I'm actually just about done. I'm finishing up Cronus Rising Kraken, Volume 3, which would be the sixth book in the series. Um, mm-hmm. Then I have to decide from there. I mean, these are big books. My, you know, I like to give people a lot of bang for their buck, so to speak. So I mean, mm-hmm. most books, if you you know, when you pick them up, you know, they're like 275, 300 pages, maybe 350. You know, my books are like almost 600 pages long. I write like mm. Stephen King length novels, basically, and uh, you know, but people they churn through them. It's amazing, you know, they, these people like you know stay up all hours of the night reading. Uh, it's very flattering. I just don't want to be blamed for, you know, you getting going late to work or getting fired. <laughs> it's not my fault. You yeah, know? right. But, um, yeah, so so once this the current book is done, and it, it's going to be huge. I mean, I've seen the cover, and it's fantastic. Um, then I'm trying to decide. I mean, I have so many projects. You know, I have a, a horror screenplay that I wrote that I need to tweak and send out to somebody, back to somebody. I have, like, you know, ideas for other screenplays, novellas, short stories. I mean, it's just so much stuff. You know, you, your brain constantly churns out ideas. I don't know if you ever do this, but, like, I always keep my cell phone on the nightstand when I sleep because, like, sometimes I write things in my sleep, you know, like like what? scenes, ideas, yeah, like dialogue, you name it. You know, you'll, you'll be imagining, like, a, like, I mean, like a story that you're working on or even a new story, and you'll wake up and you'll be like, wow, that's a great idea. And if you fall asleep, that's a trap. You forget it. You know, it's like it never happened. So I'll, like, reach over. I'll be like, oh, get the phone. I'll send myself a text or an email, you know, with enough data that I remember what it is I'm talking about. And then you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes I, I get someone. I never wake up, though. Well, that's I the mean, thing. I have going... awesome ideas, and mm-hmm. I never wake up. It's like I just sleep right through it. <laughs> really? Well, I wish I, I could. Do. My problem is, do, do are you able to fall back asleep after that? That's the thing. You know, because uh, you get too, like, wired, you know, and then you're like, oh, the alarm goes off. There's nothing worse than lying there watching the sun come up and, and, and like, wanting to, like, scream because you can't fall back asleep. But at the same time, I've if you get great ideas, problem. yeah, uh, it happens to me all the time. It's terrible. Yeah. And, and I, I got this giant Siberian forest cat as a pet, and he likes to climb in the bed, and he'll just lay on your chest you know, and go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like a child sitting in your chest. You're like, oh, 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 can you move, please? <laughs> no, 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 not happening. Not happening. Wow, wow. But I mean, I'm, I see, I'm, I'm going to be, I put this up on our Facebook page, but that, that fish is huge on your site. That's big. That's a big fish. Yeah, yeah I would be scared. Yeah, you know, which, are, we, are we talking about one of the, the giant grouper pictures? 
Yeah, that's so cute. Oh, that's not even the biggest ones. I think the biggest one I caught and and we we and we measured them and released them was over four hundred pounds, but I actually lost an eight foot long, six hundred pound Goliath grouper right next to the boat one time. This was down in oh no, you did. Yeah, Port Charlotte, Florida, like the Bogoran, the Gulf Coast side. I I think it's about maybe an hour two two hours from Miami, something like that. But um. Uh The uh, yeah, I was using a uh, like down there. A lot of these guides, they these fish are enormous. I mean, you saw the picture of a medium-sized one, and they use stingrays yeah. for bait. Yeah, you know, like a live yeah. stingray that weighs like you know fifteen, twenty pounds. Yeah. Like that's your bait. Mm-hmm. You know, so this mm-hmm. guy had like a huge stingray that must have weighed, I'm gonna say, sixty pounds at least, and it was you know too large to use for like by itself. So he had sliced off one wing. We caught a you know, 300-pound fish with that. He sliced off the other wing. We caught a 250 with that. And then he had left the, the body and the tail of the, the stingray. And this was like a 30-pound slab of meat. You know, it had eyes on top, and it looked like, like raw steak on the side. He hooks this thing, puts it down there. You know, I hook this fish. And then, like, down there, when you're fishing for these giant grouper, you're fishing pilings, like, you know, like looks like what used to be a dock of wood, you know, pilings. Mm-hmm. And they hide in there, and then they jump out to attack your bait. And the problem is that you have to pull them away from the pilings quickly or they'll hang you up and then your line is caught and you have to break break them off or whatever. So the fishermen, a lot of times when you hook a fish, they'll gun the boat in reverse and try and drag the fish away from the pilings so you can fight them in the open. Mm-hmm. This fish, as soon as he felt the, heard the engine, he spit my bait three times in a row. And I told the captain, mm. I was like, I said, this fish has experience. I said, we got to give him more time. And he's like, no, we're going to get hung up. I said, well, we're not going to get him any other way. So I gave him time. I felt a boom. As soon as it hit the bottom, like chug, 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 chew and chew and chew. I'm like, wait, wait, now. And he guns it in reverse. We pull him out in the open. He comes to the surface. And I never saw – it was scary to see – it was right at my feet because I'm in the little bow of this little 19-foot boat. And the fish was eight feet long. It looked like a giant refrigerator. I mean, it could have eaten mm. a, a teenager with no problem. And uh, you remember Andre the Giant, how he used to, like, give people these looks, yeah. like, like that evil eye stare when he was, like, the bad guy? Well, the fish actually yeah. did that to me, and then it threw the Ooh. bait at me, and the bait landed in my lap. And then he swam away. Ooh. He wasn't even hooked. He was just wouldn't let go of it because he was so angry. And then he saw me, and he's like, here, that's yours. And then he just took off. <laughs> but it was scary. I mean, you know, you, you see one of these things up close, and it's a frightening thing when you're realizing this is big enough to eat me. You know, that that oh is, is there is a, a little fear factor to that. You know, if you especially if you were in the water with it. Yeah. Well, you know. Goodness gracious! No, no, not me. I'm good. I'm good. Wow. But it helps with the writing. You want to write, you know, scary scenes where a giant sea monster is coming after you. I mean, I was attacked by an alligator down in Florida years ago, about eight or nine years now. It tried to eat my dad while we were shore fishing, and I had to fight the alligator with a landing net, you know, a fishing net. And this thing uh-huh. is I'm beating it over the head, and it's trying to grab my leg and snapping and, cr- you know, it's chewing on the net and all this stuff. And my dad's taking pictures. He's like, that's it, Max. Take it to him. Watch the teeth. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my anyway. gosh. But, you know, when you've had a reptile try and eat you, it does make it easier to describe that feeling, like a character experiences, like that dread, that terror, that primal sort of like, you know, terror, I guess, that comes with a predator trying to feed on you. And it makes it easier to spell mm-hmm. it out. So, you know, my readers are very passionate about the books. They harass me daily when the next, the next book is coming out. But, you know, it's all good. You know, it's nice to have a good mm-hmm. a following like you have you, I mean, you got some stories that are true that are just, I, I guess, just as great as, like, your fiction and, and your novels. I mean, where can people see those novels? Uh, well, the easy, I mean, you can get them from Barnes & Noble, but usually they're out of stock, and you'd have to call your store and have them pre-order it so you don't, you know, make the trip, um, which has happened to people, unfortunately. But I always tell people the easiest way is to, um, first, if they go on my website, which they can go to actually mm-hmm. either Mac, maxhawthorne.com or cronusrising.com, cronus with a K, um, 
or straight okay. to Amazon. But if you go on my site, there's actually a, a free books st- like section there where they have like free downloads, like excerpts from the novels and stuff. And Ooh. some people, if you have like an Amazon subscription, like what's it called, um, Kindle Unlimited, you can actually read the right. books for free. But otherwise, oh, wow. Amazon's the way to go. They have soft covers, hard covers, Kindles, the whole enchilada. Mm-hmm. I was at a Barnes & Noble today here in Miami, and it was nice. I hadn't seen one in a while because where I'm from, Sarasota, they don't really have them. And so, you know, go to Sarasota. you got to go all the way up to Breedington to get them. And I know about Port Charlotte because I have fam- I have friends, and, and they're just like family to me. They live in Port Charlotte. And Robbie, uh, he's, a, he's a guide, and he tells me all those crazy stories. Sometimes he's, he, when he goes out and we see him on his Facebook page, I'm out, you know. And so, yeah, it's crazy. It, it's amazing down there. It really is. I mean, nice people, beautiful mm-hmm. countryside, and the wildlife, yes. I mean. It's like, you know, you, you know. the first time I was down there in Boca Grande, I parked, we got out, there was like foot-long lizards everywhere, you know, like, yeah. I don't know what species, and then all of a sudden, a lizard as big as me, I'm six foot one, it was that size, just comes out of the brush, runs by, doo, 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 and then goes into the, the jungle, mm-hmm. and I turned to my, uh, I think it was my, my girlfriend and now my wife, and I, I went, did you see that? Like, I want to make sure I didn't imagine it, it was like a dinosaur, but I just make sure, you, you saw it too, right? I <laughs> Maybe there was something in that burger earlier that I don't know about. Yeah, right. you know, but you never oh, know what you're going to see down there. No, you don't. You know, and and I like I said, I live there. I live out in the um, they call that the the, the countryside, and mm-hmm. we we have the we have the foxes and the, and the uh, Florida uh, panther and the bobcat, and there was an anaconda out there one time. They, wow! They caught, I guess somebody wanted a pet and got too big. Yeah, I mean, talk, talk about an idiot! Don't you know how big anacondas get? Anyway. <laughs> well, they're having yeah, problems the down there a lot. In the Everglades yeah, and stuff. People have these exotic pets. Mm-hmm. And then releasing them, or they escape. Yeah, I yeah. saw it in New Jersey mm-hmm. though. I saw like a six or seven foot monitor lizard basking in the sun outside a little pond in New Jersey huh? in like July a few years ago. I had taken my nephew down there for his first fishing trip when he was like four and my brother and we, we walked over to this, it was almost 100 degrees out and there's this ginormous monitor just lying there sunning itself. It sees us. It gets up. It looked like a Komodo dragon. It waddles down to the water. It goes in the water and just swims away. And, and it was the same thing. I'm like, did you see that? And he's like, what did you see? I'm like, like, like he was interrogating me. My brother's a lawyer. Like, I, I felt like I was on the stand all of a sudden being, like, yeah. you know, interrogated. And I'm like, a, a giant lizard? He goes, yeah, right? You know, so, I, I mean, I've seen them up north, in the northeast, down in Florida, where they can breed and the temperature. I mean, you, it's, it's going to be Jurassic Park all over down there in 100 years if they don't do something. Yeah, well, after that, I die because, you know, I want to be around there. <laughs> I want to be around there. <laughs> Nile crocodiles I heard they found down there. You know, oh yeah, that, there was a crocodile that went inside somebody's house the other night. They woke up and they found it in their kitchen. Tonight. Maybe it was one of my readers looking for a book. You know, hey, is Max's new book out. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, your book brings these things on, like these ideas, the adventure, the the. I mean, everything that we, you know, you talk about in your book about the fishing, about everything. It's just, it's all there for people to see, and uh, I live it. And like you said, you know, Port Charlotte, Northport, Sarasota, uh, Bradenton, all those areas, Boca Raton, all those areas, they get the same thing. People are crazy trying to get these exotic pets. But they can get all of that in your book, and they don't even need to go to South Florida to do that. Guys- well, the creatures in, in my book are much, I mean, these are prehistoric animals, a lot of them. They're, you know, this is like well, a whole, almost like the yeah. Godzilla version. But they, but your idea and mm-hmm. the way you put it together brings it to life now. Yeah, it, it, well, that's what you want to do. You know, you want people, I mean, like, I think the most flattering book review I ever saw on Amazon was a, a young lady, and she said it was, the, she said, scariest book I ever read. And it, it is scary. I mean, not for the faint of heart, some scenes. And then she said, I cleaned my entire house in two days because of this book. And what she would do is she would read a scene until she couldn't handle it anymore. And then she'd have to put the book down and she would go and she'd clean the bathroom. 
And then she'd come back, whether she was calm, and she'd pick it up. Yeah. She, she'd explain all this. And then she would read some more, and she'd be like, oh, God. And she'd put it down, and then she'd clean, like, the kitchen. And this is what she did. Over two days, she read the whole book and cleaned her whole house. Because, you know, it's very flattering. I just, you know, I'm not looking to scare people, per se, though. Yeah. Just happens to, you know, when you have a whale-sized marine predator trying to, you know, pull your boat under and, you know, make a snack at you, I guess it is kind of scary. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree with her. And you, uh, and you know, I'm a wolf, so I don't think you're gonna get me to read your book. If I do, I will definitely be. I will definitely call you. <laughs> like, I don't like you. I don't like you. I can't sleep. <laughs> well, it's best if you're going to the beach and you don't want to go in the water. That's a good oh. time. It's a great beach read. See, because that's, then that's not. That's not good. Yeah, there's a scene where a great white shark actually gets grabbed by the monster at one point in book one. I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but, uh, you know, it's kind of like one of those. And I did it. I just want to say this up front. I did this. My book came out long before the first Jurassic World where the motion comes up and takes the uh, great white shark off, you know, that it's being fed or whatever and stuff. You know, it's sort of like a mm-hmm. rite of passage when you, you know, Jaws kind of set this, the bar for marine terror, as they like to call it you know, for these type of mm-hmm. books and movies and stuff. So it's almost like in order to, you know, uh, make a uh, stake your claim, it's almost like you have to take take down Bruce from Jaws in order to, you know, show people who you are. And it seems to be a commonality in, in, a, in a lot of novels and the genre and stuff. Mm. So, anyway. Well, I have to say that, Max, I appreciate you being on the show. Definitely heard about you because uh, I, I, I enjoy reading. I really do. I'm just a wuss, okay? I'm, I'm the kind of girl that walks into the movie, watches the Marvel comics, and comes out with a cape. That's just me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I'm down. So, if, you want yeah. a, if you want a book, you let me know. I'll send you a Kindle copy. No problem. It'd be my pleasure. Oh, nice. Oh, sweetness. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, definitely. Just send it to me. I'll, I'll cool. send you my email address, and then I'll definitely be reading it. But I'll, I'll probably be like, I'll have a spotless, dust-free house by the time I finish. That's the plan. Just line up all the stuff you're going to use to work with, clean or whatever. You know, read chapter one, hit that yeah. one, read chapter two. It's 30 chapters, you'll have it all worked out. Hey, this is a great spring cleaning book you guys can get. That's definitely. I love it. I love it. I love it. Max, thank you so much for being on the show. It was my pleasure, Yaya. My pleasure. Uh, and it's been a wonderful interview. I can't wait to to hear what you have in store for us later. Thank you. All right, then, Max. You guys, that was uh, Max Hawthorne. With the, the, I mean, you guys got to just go and get it. I mean, you, you just go ahead right there in our description box, copy and paste. You know how it goes. Or you can go to our Facebook page and copy it down and go ahead and click on the link. It takes you straight to the page. But it's chronosrising.com. ChronosRising.com or Kindle or Amazon, and he is an amazing writer, and uh, I'm honored to have had him on the show. Hopefully, he'll come back. Yay! All right, guys, thank you so much. Hey, thank you so much again for being on the show, Max. And we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Don't you guys go nowhere. You know how this goes. We're daring to be different all the time, every time. There is not one time that we're not daring to be different, so let's get with it. Daring to be different, that's how it goes here. You know, there are certain things that I wanted to talk to you guys about. And, and you know, I haven't really gotten into it. Um, I am a lover of herbs. I mean, I absolutely love herbs. I've noticed how much I've really kind of gotten into herbs, and I know that this is kind of off the beaten path here, but not so much so because there are herbalists out there, people who uh, they they actually have a business where they're helping people 
with herbs. And I have to say that I'm I'm just excited about this whole thing. Uh, finding herb books, finding books about herbs and all kinds of different things just excites me. Why am I a geek? <laughs> I don't know. But I wanted to say that there's, there's just so many healing herbs out there. And I wanted to talk to you really, really quick about herbs. Uh, it, let me tell you something. There are herbs out there to to heal your nausea, to to help you with diabetes, to help you with all different kinds of things. And the one thing that I wanted to talk about with the herbs was, you know, I'm, I'm looking in my reference here, and I want to make sure that I have the index really, really good because I wanted to talk about a couple of things about herbs. Herbs, and one of the most common um, diseases out there that I know about, and I'm hoping that this has it in there, uh, let me see if I have it here. Digestion, where is it? Because digestive system, okay, I got it. All right, so I'm looking at the digestive system because a lot of us have problems digesting our food. You ever feel like when you eat your food, the next thing you know, it's like a rock in your stomach, and it just sits there and sits there and sits there, and you're still full like five, six hours later, and you and then all of a sudden it's the gas and it's, it's all the bloating and everything. That is a problem with the digestive system. And so I thought it would be interesting today, since I have a little time, to go over some of these things that I've been learning about the digestive system. And so it's, it's, it's the, I mean, it's really, really cool. To keep the, the digestive system healthy, you have to, of course, maintain a, a good nutrition, nutritional diet, something that has, you know, that keeps your, bow, your bowels moving. It reduces the tension um, and stuff like that. So I want to talk about a couple of things that we could use it, to keep our stomachs going. This is amazing because a lot of people tell me how they're gaining weight and everything because the digestive system is so important not only with maintaining a healthy lifestyle but also maintaining a healthy weight. And and I'm not telling people they need to gain or lose. What I'm saying is it's interesting. It's just very interesting. So sore mouth and throat or gum disease includes soreness inside the mouth and or around the tongue. Gums may be inflamed. Sage is the most useful remedy in toothpaste as well as mouthwash and gargle. A pinch of salt will help. When making a gargle, add marshmallow tea uh, in, 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 or tincture for extreme soreness and mouth ulcers. Add echinacea tea uh, or a couple of cloves for toothache and an abscess. Listen to this. Marigold, the actual flower for tonsillitis and thrush. Cayenne, a cayenne pepper for laryngitis and sore throats that are worse than a cold. So, I mean, there are certain things that we can do naturally, naturally, that will help us instead of going straight for the medicine cabinet. Okay, acid in the stomach. So burning pain in the stomach after eating, heartburn, Acid reflux, a lot of people have that. Poor appetite may lead to ulcers. The inside of the stomach should have a mucus coating to protect it from the acids of digestion. Um, so some of the remedies that will help it is meadow sweet with comfrey and chamomile. That's interesting. Meadow sweet with comfrey and chamomile. Peppermint, fennel, and cinnamon. These are all like internal medicines, okay? Before your meal, marshmallow, slippery elm, licorice, carrot juice, cabbage water, or juice. So these are things that you can make naturally that will help you digest and get rid of your heartburn and everything. And you can also add it can see if the symptoms are severe and persistent. And thyme is an antiseptic. Thyme. T-H-Y-M-E, time. Other measures, stop smoking, reduce the alcohol, avoid spicy and fatty foods, eat slower. Papaya extract is helpful as well. 
So these are the things that, I mean, when we go for our dreams and our goals, if we're sick, there's no way we're going to be able to do this. We have to find a, a really cool balance because even though you're doing everything without your health, it's really nothing. Now I get into a couple of really tasty things like diarrhea. How about that? <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Diarrhea is usually irritable bowel symptoms, but sometimes our, um, diarrhea can be a you're giving off all of your your water, so you have to replace it with water. But yellow dock with cinnamon or ginger is very very good for that, and that and that keeps your uh, your you know for acute diarrhea arising from food poisoning or in- infection. You take yellow dock with cinnamon or ginger. Other measures can be uh, plenty of liquid to prevent dehydration. A pint of boiled water containing a pinch of salt and two teaspoons of raw honey makes a good emergency fluid. Drink freely and make sure that the raw honey is really, really raw honey, okay, and not just like that fake stuff with the maple syrup in it, okay? Um, Constipation. Now, me personally, I'm not even going to be looking into the book that I'm reading from, which I'm reading from the Complete Illustrated Guide to Herbs by Nan Shaw. But what I what I do is I overload on vitamin C. I don't know. I go to Walmart, and in Walmart they have these vitamin C gummies that are so delicious. I pop them like candy. I'm telling you, I don't eat sweets, but I will eat. I will, I will just I'll go through those in a couple, in a few days. The whole bottle's gone. Most people say, well. Isn't that bad for your stomach? I'm like, well, no, because vitamin C in itself is so good for you. It's so good for you that it helps with constipation. I'm never constipated. I'm not going to get into my bowel movements with you guys, but I'm just going to let you know that I am never constipated. (laughs) Okay, magnesium also helps. Dandelion root, yellow dock, aloe vera leaf, um, valerian uh, or chamomile for for colicky pain and uh, uh, stress constipation, eat high fiber foods, whole grain uh, breads, oats, and leafy vegetables, and regular exercise. These are going to get their things moving. You know, I talked to somebody the other day, and they were, we were talking about bowel movements. I know, I know, you know, I get into con- I get into conversations that are so weird, but I got into a conversation about bowel movements, and you know, it was vitamin C, of course, because everybody's like, well, what do you do? Because, you know, you're so healthy, you look so good, oh my gosh, and they're like, are you regular? And it was like, yeah, baby, I'm regular. I take vitamin C like it's going out of style. <laughs> they were like, what? I was like, yeah, my bowel movements, you know, they... They come frequently, you guys. They come frequently. So me personally, and I do eat a high-fiber diet. I love salads. I love spinach. I love spinach salads with avocados and 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 all kinds of different just vegetables inside of there with some sautéed something in there, some olive oil and some herbs, and I'm good to go. I don't need no cheese. I don't need no quesadilla. I don't need nothing like that. All I need is my vegetables, my avocado, and I am good to go. I mean, you know, you you got to understand that we all have to take precautions on our body. How are we going to go forward in our dreams and, 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 and conquer the world, as we say it, if we're sick? It's not going to happen. Obviously, there are moments in our lives that we're going to be sick, and there's nothing we can do about it. But if there's something that you could do about it, wouldn't you do it? Wouldn't you do it? How about our immune system? Okay, the body needs a healthy immune system, so you have to drink plenty of water. Most of us are drinking sodas and juices and carbonated whatever, and I stay away from those things. I mean, I get it from my family, and that's all they do whenever I buy it is they drink soda. Soda. It's not even soda because I don't buy soda. I I buy like those lime spritzer thingies, you know, or something like that, and it's and it's always the lime spritzer. Instead of going for water, they go for that. And to me, that's just such a waste. And I don't get it a lot, but you feel a difference in your body when you're not drinking enough water, when you're not putting the water back into your body. Remember, your body is over, I believe it's over 70% water, not Gatorade, not juice, not soda, not even diet sodas are way worse. Just go ahead and drink a regular soda if you're gonna drink a, a diet. Diet is just terrible for you. The chemicals in there, just horrible. So exercise. Look, 
most people say, <laughs> you guys are going, oh, that again. Exercise is not necessarily going to the gym, you guys. Exercise could be walking around your house. Exercise could be walking around the block. Exercise could be taking your dog out for a walk every day. Get moving, basically. Get moving. Get moving. That's it. Just get moving, okay? Uh, avoid excessive internal and external stress. My goodness, do you know that the body cannot relieve itself from stress? There is, it, it's an impossibility. The moment that stress binds to your body, it is there for a lifetime. So taking a moment to breathe, taking a moment to relax, taking a moment of meditation, taking a moment to get away, even to go, you know, they say that when you're in the midst of trees, uh, these things, the trees help you to get rid of your stress. So go out, go to the beach and hang out for a minute. You know, these things will definitely help you maintaining an emotional balance. You know, a lot of people can't do this. A lot of people can't maintain an emotional balance. So what do you do to maintain an emotional balance? A lot of times you need a life coach. A lot of times you just need someone there, like a best friend to talk with you and things like that. These are going to be the things that we're all going to need to help us all with our emotional uh, well-being. And then our emotions, they do affect our immune system. It wears it down. I'm telling you, if you could just breathe and just think rationally sometimes, we'll be a lot healthier. Stress can wear your immune system down. So herbal strategies, we have a bunch of different things here, like internal medicines, garlic, echinacea, Siberian ginseng, sage, marigold helps to relieve the chronic tonsillitis and swollen lymph nodes for fever, herbs, elderflowers, yarrow, marigold, thyme. Um, there's so many different things uh, that you can use to help with your immune system and allergies and things like that. We're going to talk about that another time, but I really wanted to go over that with you because I'm I'm so figure out, like people tell me, I, I would love to, go after my dreams and my goals. I have so many of them, but I'm so sick. I'm so sick. And so I think that we need to kind of take the moment and understand that being where we are in life is great, but if we don't take care of ourselves, we won't be there for long. So take care of yourself. Take care of your body. Take care of that, and your dreams and aspirations and goals will be reachable, attainable, and you'll be, health, you'll be healthy enough to enjoy them. We're going to go ahead and take this caller right here. Thank you so much for calling in. Please tell everybody who you are and what you do, please. Uh, my name is Sola Togan Butler. I am an author, a clinical therapist, and an assistant professor. So, witness, hi, how are you? I am fine. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So, tell me... Um, how did you get started in all that? I mean, you girl, you got everything going on. <laughs> well, I would say um, I love being an educator because I love to, um, you know, to teach my students, to bring a lot of my experience in the field, to bring it into the classroom. Um, I actually became a social worker first just because um, I love to help people um, and I love to connect with people and I love to learn about people's culture. So that was mm -hmm. the first career that I started with was just, you know, uh, doing social work and um, being involved in social justice. And then I had the opportunity to teach. So I thought, oh, great, let me take this opportunity to kind of um, teach the next generation of social workers and therapists. So I'm really blessed to be able to do both and also to be able to um, write on the side um, as well. Now, okay, you immigrated with your family in 1988. And tell me about that. Yes, I'm originally from Nigeria. So um, in 1988, I came to the United States with my mom and my two brothers. My dad was already here. He came in 1987. So um, just because of, you know, um, economic reasons in Nigeria at the time, my parents made the decision to come to the United States. Um, so we came with my mom and joined my dad in 88. That is very interesting because a lot of people say that there's no opportunity here in the United States. But when you got a person that comes from a different country, they get all the opportunities because they see the goal in it. 
tell me about that. Tell me, you know, when you moved over from Nigeria, you got here, what was the difference? And then did that help you evolve as a, as a, a person who wanted to help? Um, definitely. I would say um, when I came to the United States, you know, like a, a lot of immigrants, I had certain um, thoughts about the United States. Um, and then when I got here and, and you see that, again, you know, people are living in poverty. People are struggling to get their resources met. So that kind of got me into, you know, wanting to make a difference because I believe that we all have goals. We all have things that we want to achieve. However, our basic needs must be met before we can achieve those goals, like having housing, you know, have a sense of belonging in your community, being loved. All those things are important to get to where you want to be. So coming to the United States and seeing other immigrants, you know, struggling and um, just people in general just um, having a difficult time um, getting resources was what motivated me to to want to get into social work. Mm, I like that. I really do like that. And, you know, being that you are, you have your bachelor's degree in psychology from Brooklyn College and a master's degree in social work from the Siberian um, School so, of Social Silverman. Work. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm looking at it, and I'm going, this is so Siberian. <laughs> and a Ph.D. in education from North uh, Central University. Girlfriend, what, where did you get the time to do all that? <laughs> Um, well, I would say, you know, I, I tell people there's nothing wrong with identifying your strengths. I think that we spend so much time focusing on, on our weaknesses. Sometimes we don't realize our strengths. I'm very driven. I'm a very driven person. If I set my sight to get something done, I will get it done. Um, it doesn't mean that there weren't challenges along the way. It doesn't mean that there weren't times that I wanted to give up. Um, but I have to say, you know, my, my faith in God, I have a strong support system of family and friends that, you know, kind of rallied behind me you know, to make it happen. But I always knew that I wanted at some point in my life to get a PhD. And um, so I did, you know, with, you know, being, you know, having two small children, going to school, working full time, it wasn't easy. Um, but I, I was able to do it because I, I was just driven. I knew that I, I wanted this. I, I had to get this, you know, especially being in academia, you want to have a PhD. So that's what, you know, helped me achieve those goals. Mm. You know, a lot of people can't even pinpoint what they want to do in life. They have so many different um, directions that they can go in because they're multi-talented or they have interest in not just one thing. How did you decide that this was what you wanted to do? I mean, were there other choices out there or did this kind of take the cake? Um, I think for me, I always knew I wanted to help people. So the social work aspect I knew from the beginning, and I was really fortunate to have educators um, that saw that potential in me and kind of guided me in the right direction. Now, mm-hmm. education was something I just fell into. It's just, you know, um, mm. my husband just happened to see an ad for a lecture and said, oh, you should apply for this. And I thought, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's for me. But, but once I started teaching and I, I got, got the position, I started teaching, I realized that I enjoyed it. And um, I enjoyed kind of preparing my students to get into this field and making sure that they were also going to be social workers or therapists who were going to make a difference in the world. So education I kind of fell into, but the social work I knew from the beginning that I love people, I like to help people, so I'm definitely getting into it. So social work, mm. yes education, um, I just kind of fell into that one. Wow. So falling into something can be very good. Now, how did you how did you get to writing books? Well, I've always been a writer. I enjoy writing. Um, it's just that I never published it. Um, I mm. come from a family of writers. My dad is also a writer. Um, and I just kind of like enjoy writing my thoughts and ideas down on paper. So I've been writing since I was about the age of 12. Um, but after I got my doctorate, I felt like this push to really, you know, publish this particular book just because, you know, based on my experiences as an African immigrant, talking to other African immigrants, I just felt like it was important that these, you know, issues and concerns kind of be brought out. So that's when I finally decided Mm -hmm. to, okay, let me, you know, get this, get this book published and get it out there. Mm -hmm. So tell me about the book. Tell me about you know, the, the, where do you keep the lions? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, where do you keep the lions? It's, it's an African girl's first day of school in America. And um, the title is something that is very powerful to me because 
Um, it's loosely based on my own life experience where I went to school. Here I am, an African immigrant, and I have students asking me, um, do I know what a television is? Um, how, did you live oh in a God. tree? Did you wear clothes <laughs> in Africa? But um, the question that took the cake for me that I'd never forget was when someone said to me, um, Sola, where do you keep the lions? And that became the title of my book because that's the one that shocked me the most. Like I'm thinking, well, we don't have them roaming around in the streets. Like it's, you know, I live in a city. That would be very dangerous to, you know. Um, so I never forgot that just because it was the one question that kind of knocked me off my feet. And um, a lot of African immigrants, just because of, of how Africa as a continent is portrayed in the media, just assume that, you know, we all live in a jungle and it's uncivilized and, you know, so that's why I decided that, you know, to write the book, that it's okay for kids to be curious, you know, but they need to know how to ask questions when they're curious about other cultures. Mm-hmm. Wow. 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 So, goodness gracious, I mean, people. But you know what? A lot of times the parents don't teach the children that, you know, life is almost pretty much similar to, you know, in every country that you have your traditions and your cultures, but, I mean, you know, people live life. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. So the, the misconceptions that you um, that you had, you know, with other people and, and the way they put it, you know, and the way they did that to you, uh, how did you get over that? Did the book help or does the book help? Um, the book helps because um, I think that, it is showing a different side of the continent. But what I've done to help me deal with sometimes um, the anger is education. That's why I'm an educator. So I've been doing this for years now where I do just free presentations. Whoever asks me to come, I come. And the presentation is, is called Challenging Myths About Africa. And what I do is I go into schools, colleges, churches, wherever I'm invited, and I just talk to them about the top myths about Africa. And then I show pictures, you know, history to challenge that thought. And um, whenever I do those presentations, the, the two things that get the biggest reaction is when I show people that we have a pizzeria in Nigeria and um, KFC. Because, again, people okay. are expecting poverty. They're expecting you don't have anything. They don't, they don't, they're shocked to see skyscrapers. So it's kind of using education to change people's perspective. But the majority of the mm-hmm. time I'm doing that with adults, so that's why I decided to publish a book that can also um, reach out to children as well to change their, their misconceptions. Well, well, and, and now that you have this book out and now that you're doing all of this, I mean, what, is there other books coming after this one? Do you have other books that you've already published? This is the first book that I've published, and um, I'm already beginning to think about the next one um, that I would like to publish Um and that particular book, again, is, is, is centered around cultural sensitivity. But, again, that book will look more about issues within groups. Like this is kind of like what, you know, even, if, even though you might be the same race or ethnicity with, you know, as another person, sometimes within groups there's issues of discord and tension and, you know, trying to address that as well, you know, because mm-hmm. kids pick up on that and they pick up on, you know, parents telling them not to associate with someone or not to play with someone and how hurtful and detrimental those messages can be to young children. So um, mm-hmm. that's my plan for the next one um, that I'm kind of thinking about about doing. Mm. Well, that's very interesting, I tell you. You know, now, when it came to writing, how natural was that for you? I would say it was very natural for me because I've always been a writer. Um, I like to write. I journal. Um, Just being a therapist, you always have to write notes. So the writing comes natural to me. It doesn't mean I don't have writer's block where I kind of have to go for a walk and figure things out. Um, But I think that just because I've I've always been a reader myself, I've always written, um, especially this story. It's based on my own personal experience. It kind of flowed for me very naturally. Um, so the challenge for me sometimes is coming up with titles. That, that's why I struggle because I feel like titles have to capture readers. Like they have to read the title of your book and be intrigued enough to want to see what's inside. So um, mm-hmm. that's where I struggle is getting a good title to capture the interest of, of a uh, prospective reader. 
Hmm. And what kind of advice do you give other people that, I mean, people in just in general that they are not doctors, they don't have a PhD, they don't have a bachelor's, they, and, and some of them don't even have a high school education completely, but they're very smart. What do you what do you say to those people, like, if they want to write, if they want to be writers, what would be a piece of advice you could give them? Well, I'm a firm believer that you never give up on your dreams. Never give up on your dreams. Uh, never give up on your goals. Um, identify what some of the challenges that you feel like you're going to face along the way, because if you know what your challenges are ahead of time, at least you identify some of them, you're already prepared um, so that when you face them, you can overcome them better. Um, mm-hmm. To see failure not as the end, but as a lesson learned. Because even in my journey of writing this book, there was a lot of challenges and obstacles along the way where I thought I'm going to give up. But I said, okay, I'm going to be upset about this for a day, but tomorrow I'm going to get back on that horse. I'm going to figure it out. So I believe that if mm-hmm. you have a dream, just kind of outline how you want to achieve the dream, what the challenges are going to be, and um, go for it. And just you know, redefine failure as a lesson along the way to get you to where you want to get to. Um, so that would be my advice um, to anyone. And if, if there are areas of writing that you struggle with, if you know someone that's good in that area, they can help you. Um, I had friends help with proofreading, with editing. So always reaching out to support systems if need be to help you, you know, accomplish your goal and get to where you want, you know, where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I want to thank you so much, yeah, because, I mean, there's so many different ways to get to where you really want to be in life, but I definitely thank you so much for being on the show and for showing that, you know, even with children, you can you can accomplish your goals. You can do it little by little, and, again, there may be challenges along the way, but you did it. Absolutely, yes. You could do it. If I could do it, you know, anyone could do it. Just stay the course and, and, and don't give up. Amazing. So where can people find your book? Uh, my book is on Amazon.com. Um, that's where they can find the book. And um, they can put in the um, title of the book, um, Where You Keep the Lions, and it will it will pop right up. Or they can put my name, and it will send them directly to my author's page. And my author's page has um, pictures from Nigeria, pictures of myself, the book, you know, a little bit of my history, um, so they can get that access to that information as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. I certainly appreciate it. Appreciate your time that you put into everything that you're doing. To me, that's just, it it, it, it says so much. It speaks volumes. So thank you again so much for being on the show. I can't help but say it, it, you know. And to write a book about, you know, you are the African-American. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't consider myself an African-American. I really don't. I'm a black girl that got taken from Africa and mm-hmm. put all over the world and and kind of integrated with all different kinds of countries and peoples and mixed and then thrown into the, into the cesspool of America. That's how I look at it. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's not, that's kind of like descriptive. I guess that's my my way of writing. But I write with my mouth instead of with my fingers. I try to write that down; it doesn't come out. Let's do the same. You know, but I mean, to to typically say I'm an African American, I never do say that. I always say I'm just, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a girl, and just born mm-hmm. in America. Right. So. You know, so thank you so much for for bringing that in, in that truth and and putting it in a book, especially for anybody to read, really. So thank you so oh, absolutely. much. Absolutely, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate your time. Anytime, anytime. You guys, uh, all you gotta do is copy and paste her information into your browser. You know how we go. We put it down in our description box below, and then you can copy and paste that. Or we're gonna go ahead and put her information up on our Facebook page on Dream Chasers Radio. And you can go and grab it there as well. And, uh, wow, amazing writers, amazing people. Thank you again so much for being on the show. Thank you. Have a good evening. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Wow, guys, amazing, amazing, amazing writers, amazing. I mean, you know, think about it. You want to write a book. You want to write something that, that means a lot to you. Or you want to write a book about, you know, both our authors today wrote a book about what, I mean, think about it. Both of their books 
were about things that they were passionate about, things that, you know, meant something to them. If you want to write a book, just go ahead and write a book. It really, and if it's bad English, it's like get someone else to edit it for you or get a ghostwriter, do something. Um, but it's like, to me, it's it's great. It's uh, it's just one of those things that you just gotta you gotta just go after, and hopefully one day, you know, you'll be able to say I did that too. I did that too. Well, I want to thank you so much for tuning in to Dream Chasers Radio with me, your host Shia Diamond. It has been another wonderful, wonderful radio program, another wonderful show today, and I'm just I'm just. I'm just flabbergasted. The, the, the sheer, how would I say, the sheer talent of the two people that came on today and how they have both just shown me that writing about a passion, writing about something you've experienced can be wonderful. And I hope that you see that too. I hope that you see that, you know, you can, you can do it. You can do it. You can. And I believe in you. And uh, we're going to have a great time. We have so many wonderful shows coming up for you next week. So please don't hesitate uh, to tune in to Dream Chasers Radio. You can tune in to uh, Dream Chasers Radio, Radio on Blog Talk, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, Spreaker, um, Spotify. I mean, wherever wherever we are, you just type in Dream Chasers Radio. <laughs> You'll find us. Wow, guys! Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, again, I'm just I'm I'm putting all the information there in our description box. So all you gotta do is copy and paste that into your browser, and you have got it. There it goes, and it's there. Thank you guys again so much for tuning in. Until next time, don't forget to what? Dare to be different, baby. Good night, everybody. <laughs>